Today we continue with the series on uh, the will of man and uh, we had a look in the previous teaching on the fact that there is an inward man and there is an outward man. Um, a couple of scriptures we can have a look at. One is 2 Corinthians 4.16. The scripture says, Therefore we do not lose heart, for even though our outward man is perishing, yet the inward man is being renewed day by day. And uh, we saw that our Lord Jesus, when he was on the earth, he obviously introduced us to the teaching about the fact that we should be, we have to be born again. Um, and we said it's important for us to understand the, uh, this, uh, the whole series that we're going to be dealing with is really man, the image uh, of God, for man has been created in the image of God. And so we wanted to have a look at the various uh, parts of man to discover just how God has designed us to function, how God has designed us to operate. Um, because one we, once we do have a more clear understanding of what mankind is really all about, um, there's a lot in Scripture that then becomes more clear to us. Uh, we are able to then um, walk in the light of a deeper level of truth than what we would be able to walk in if we didn't know uh, certain aspects of mankind. And the example we gave is when our Lord did teach on being born again. For he taught uh, Nicodemus. Nicodemus was a teacher of Israel. He was a, um, a knowledgeable man um, with regards to the Word of God and to the Scriptures. Um, but he comes to our Lord in the evening and he says to him, you know, you know we, see, we understand that you're from God because nobody can do the works that you do if God wasn't with him. And so our Lord then makes the statement to him and he says, unless a man is born again, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. And so now Nicodemus is his point of reference to trying to understand what the Lord is saying is in the natural. He can only, that's, that, that is his exposure. That's what he understands. And so when he thinks about it, he says, well, how is it possible? Is it possible for a grown man to once again enter into his mother's womb and thus be born again? And our Lord then went on to say that which is born of the Spirit is spirit and that which is born of the flesh is flesh. And so we in hindsight uh, understand what our Lord was referring to and that he was speaking about our spirits being born again. And so it is only really under the new covenant that we have a clearer understanding of the fact that the man is in fact a spirit because we understand it is our spirits that are born again. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, If any man be in Christ... He is a new creation. All things have passed away. Behold, all things become new and all things are of God. And so the all things there is in fact the spirit of man. And we, you know, that teaching is very clearly understood in the church today amongst those who in fact are born again. But there is more to man than just the spirit of man and the physical body of man. Because obviously um, in that teaching that our Lord put across, we've identified that man is made up of a spirit and he dwells within a body. And, um, you know, the, the scripture talks about uh, our bodies being an earthly tent. Peter, both Peter and Paul refer to their bodies as being tents. And we've just seen uh, Paul speaking, and he says that uh, we have an outward man and we have an inward man. Um, and the, uh, Peter speaks of, refers to the, the uh, hidden man of the heart, the inward man as the hidden man of the heart. And so clearly we have an outward man and we have an inward man. The outward man is our physical bodies. The inward man is made up of our spirit, but there is more to it than just that. And we saw in Psalm 139, verse 13, the scripture, the Bible speaking to us, it says, 
for you formed my inward parts, plural, not singular, plural. You covered me in my mother's womb. And so he's talking about how God created him within his mother's womb, this, uh, the writer of Psalms. And so when he says you formed my inward parts, he's talking about the inner man. And so there is more than one part to the inner man. We saw certain scriptures along that line. And um, then obviously he says, and you covered me in my mother's womb. And so the inward man is covered with the outward man. The outward man being this tent that we dwell in. And when we one day put off our tents, we will then depart to be with the Lord. For to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. And so we saw in the uh, previous teaching that the inward man, uh, so man is primarily is made up of five parts, really. We have the outward man, and then there are four parts to our inward man. And we had a look at that, uh, some scriptures along that line. We saw that man has a soul as well as a spirit. And the book of Hebrews talks about the fact that uh, the word of God is quick and powerful and, and sharper than any two-edged sword, able to divide asunder even uh, joints and marrow and spirit and soul. And so the spirit and the soul of man can be separated. Because they can be separated, we know that they're not the same. However, it is the, only the word of God that we said that can separate the soul of man and the spirit of man because God has designed man to function as a whole. And so we, we just, in this series, we are splitting man up into the various parts as revealed to us in Scripture so that we can then uh, more clearly understand aspects in Scripture and apply Scripture more effectively to our Christian walk. And you need to know, understand that you're a spirit being if you can understand being born again, uh, as, as, as an example. And so... The spirit and the soul of man can, in fact, be separated. The Bible very clearly teaches us that. In the book of Thessalonians, uh, we quote it and says, Now may God, uh, 1 Thessalonians 5.23, says, Now may God, uh, the God of peace himself, sanctify you completely, and may your whole spirit, soul, and body be preserved blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. And so here, uh, the Holy Spirit through the Apostle Paul tells us that we have a spirit, we have a soul, and we have a body. Um, and in the book of Hebrews, we saw that the, the soul and the spirit can be separated, so they are not the same. They are joined intimately together, and we function together as one whole. So your soul can't go off and do its own thing, and your spirit go off and do something else on its own. Mankind is one person but he's made up of different parts. And then we did the analogy of looking at the, the physical body. We said the physical body has different parts to it. We have the brain, we have the heart, um, different part, body parts. Each one has its own function, but the, the sum of all the parts together make the whole. And so that is really what we're, coming, uh, we're looking at at this point in time. And then we had a look at the fact that mankind also has a conscience. So the inner man is made up of the spirit and the soul. And we said the soul is in fact the mind. And we are not going into any depth along those lines today. We also looked at the fact that man, the inward man, um, or the inner man, or the hidden man of the heart, has a conscience as well. And that the conscience of man also has a, its own separate function that it performs in um, the role of mankind and so how we how we are able to function just like my heart does one thing and my brain does another so my conscience does one thing my spirit does another and my soul which is my mind does something else entirely and then we had a look at the fact that man also has a will and again we're talking about the inward man the inward man we said is made up of these four parts 
uh, the spirit of man, the soul of man, the conscience of man, and then we saw that uh, the inward man has a will, and that is the will of man. And that is the series that we're de dealing with over uh, this series of teachings uh, with regards to mankind. We're dealing with the will of man. And we saw that mankind, God has given to each one of us our own free will. This is a unique uh, uh, creation of God given to mankind. But God doesn't create robots. That is not, uh, you know, mankind can create robots because mankind can develop computer programs and the robot will then do that same function for the rest of time until such a thing as, as their parts wear out. But God doesn't do create like that. God creates uh, his creations with a free will. And uh, that is a very unique thing uh, to create with a free will because um, to oversee a creation that has its own free will truly takes one like God to do that. Because mankind, no man can oversee another man who has free will and completely uh, uh, look after his best interests and all things like that because then that mankind will just go out and do his own thing. But be that as it may. We, we, so God doesn't create robots. God creates his creation with a free will. And so we're wanting to look at the will of man as, as part of this series of teachings. We're wanting to understand how the will of man actually does uh, impact our Christian walk. And... Uh, you know just how we can how the will of man actually does apply in our Christian walk um, and we said in order to understand the will of man we because we have been made in the image of God we really want to have a look at uh, and have an, a more clear understanding of the will of God first because um, it is it, when we look at scripture we will see that there's almost like a contrast that occurs because you have this uh, this aspect of God where his will always prevails um, and we saw scripture along that line and that his will always prevails um, if God's will didn't always prevail then God wouldn't, wouldn't be God um, because things would just get completely out of control and so God is in complete control of his creation nevertheless he has created mankind with this um, ability to have their own free will. So how do we reconcile a God who is able to manage creation and, and be in complete control over his creation and yet his creation he allows to not do what he says do. Um, and so we do, do need to reconcile the two. And so what we want to look at is in this uh, first teaching we looked at that we touched on it and we want to carry on at that point today is we want to look at the will of God. And so we saw when we started uh, in the previous teaching on the will of God, we saw that God, in fact, has two aspects to his will. And we saw that God has his perfect will, and then God has his permissible will. And we saw that anything that is done outside of God's perfect will is by default being done in God's permissible will because then God does permit that to happen. It is not his perfect will for the situation. However, he does allow it to happen and therefore God permits it to happen. It's the same thing. And so God's permissible will is in fact his allowable will. It's the same term, same thing, just two different terms for the, the same concept. And we put through a couple of examples and we said 
Uh, when the children of Israel wanted to have a king, it was not God's perfect will for the nation of Israel to have a king. It was his perfect will for him to be their king. Nevertheless, they wanted a king. They went to Samuel. They said, we want a king. Samuel gets upset about it. Samuel goes and prays about it. God says, no, don't, don't get upset about it. They haven't rejected you. They've rejected me. But give them what they want. They want a king. And so God then raises up a king for them in Saul. Uh, it doesn't work out too good. And God then replaces Saul with David. And there's king after king after king after king for the, uh, in that man uh, from there on out. And uh, their kings just lead the Israel further and further astray until eventually they get taken out of the, the, the promised land. And so, and so it really wasn't God's perfect rule for the nation, but that's what they wanted, that's what they got. Um, and so there was an instance of God's perfect will and God's permissible will. And then we saw that when our Lord was on the earth, well, in fact, we looked at the example given to us in Scripture of John the Baptist when he was on the earth. Um, in Israel, it was God's perfect will that everybody go to John the Baptist and be baptized by John in preparation for the coming Messiah. And um, we saw that, obviously, there were multitudes that fell in with God's perfect will for their lives and they were baptized by John. But there were those who rejected uh, God's perfect will. And we quoted the scripture, which is in Luke chapter 7, beginning in verse 29. The scripture says, And when all the people heard him, speaking of John, even the tax collectors justified God, having been baptized with the baptism of John. Verse 30, But the Pharisees and lawyers rejected the will of God for themselves, not having been baptized by him. And so, very clearly, it was God's perfect will that uh, even the Pharisees and the lawyers should be baptized by John. They, they chose to reject uh, God's will. So when they rejected God's will, that was God's perfect will. Now they chose to reject God's will. Why? Because they used their own free will. Because nothing, God, only, God gives us the choice, always. That's, that's how God operates. In this life, God never overrides the free will of mankind. Mankind's free will reigns supreme. And so what God does is He places the choice before man. Uh, man then, of their own free will, choose to either do what God says do or to reject God's will and do their own thing. And that's exactly what happened in the case of John the Baptist. Uh, the Pharisees and the lawyers rejected God's will. God made known His will to Israel. He said, God, this is what I want you to do. This is my perfect will for you. Uh, he didn't say it in that manner, but that's what is strongly inferred. It was God's will, which is His perfect will. They reject God's will, and they choose to do their own will, and therefore they, go, they operate outside of God's perfect will, but God permits them to do that. And so they are operating in God's permissible will. And so that's the two aspects that we saw um, that pertain to the will of God. Very important for us to understand the concept because as we do, we'll then have a clearer understanding of how certain things work in the Bible. And so when it comes to salvation uh, for mankind to be saved, this is the perfect will of God. Salvation is God's perfect will for mankind. Um, and we, a scripture we can look at is in 1 Timothy chapter 2, beginning in verse 3. The scripture says, For this is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior, verse 4, who desires all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. And so here we see it very clearly that God has made known to us 
what his desire is. Now, his desire is his perfect will. Uh, but God doesn't desire one thing outside of his will. His will and his desire is talking about the same thing. And so it is the perfect will of the Father that no one should be lost. The scripture says, verse 4 says, who desires all men, not some men, all men, to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. And so God has made it very plain to us in Scripture what His perfect will is with regards to salvation. So God is not, it's not His desire that any should be lost. It is, it, is his, it is His desire that all should be saved. So it is God, clearly God's perfect will for mankind uh, that all should be saved. Salvation is God's perfect will for mankind. Now God can't lie. We know the Scripture teaches us that in more than one place. Um, and also don't forget, God is good. Jesus taught us in, in Luke 18, 19, he said, um, God is good. He said, he, God is the only one who is good. And so as, as a good God, it is his desire that all men should be saved. And he can't lie. Uh, Titus 1, 2 teaches us that there are other, other scriptures that also confirm the fact that God can't lie. So um, here's another scripture that everybody knows very well, which again just reaffirms to us what God's perfect will is with regards to salvation. And the scripture says in John 3, John's Gospel, chapter 3, verse 16, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. And so it is the perfect will of the Father that all mankind should be saved. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son so that they could be saved. Um, God did not give His, His Son for only some in the world. He gave His Son for all. For the Scripture says, For God so loved the world, not some in the world, all the world, um, that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believes in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. And so... You know, you know, again, that truth is so clear to us in Scripture that it is the perfect will of God that every single person on the planet should be saved. And Jesus died for every single person on the planet. He didn't die for a select few. He died for everyone. God so loved the world. Every single um, person that has ever been born and that will ever be, more, be born. God has given Jesus unto them. Um, and it is not God's desire that even the wicked should perish. So it matters not how wicked a person becomes. God's perfect will for that individual is still salvation. That is the perfect will of God for mankind, is the salvation of mankind. Uh, another scripture we can look at is in, in, in Ezekiel chapter 33, verse 11. This is God speaking. He says, Say to them, As I live, says the Lord God, I have no pleasure in the death of death of the wicked, but that the wicked turn from his way and live. Turn, turn from your evil ways, for why should you die, O house of Israel? And so, very clearly, God, uh, God our Father is saying, I have no pleasure in the death of the wicked. So it's not a case of, well, God, you know, gets, uh, um, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Enjoy seeing people being punished for all eternity. That's, and so, you know, because... He, this gives him pleasure. He, he has quite, uh, you know, he's quite comfortable with sending people to hell. Not at all. 
Um, God doesn't want anybody to go to hell. That's why he sent his son there, so that his son paid the price for everyone. No one has to go there, um, because it is clearly the perfect will of God that every single person ever born, and what that will ever be born, should be saved, and none should be lost. That is the perfect will of God. Um, nevertheless, um, it is very clear that a lot of people do perish. A lot of people do not accept the perfect will of God. Let's go back to John's baptism. God had made his will known to the children of Israel, be baptized by John. Pharisees and lawyers said, no, we're not interested, thank you very much. And so rejected God's perfect will for their lives. And so we're not baptized by John. It's exactly the same thing with regards to salvation. God offers salvation to the whole of mankind. It is his perfect will that the whole of mankind should be saved. And he has made provision for every single person to be saved. Um, but the vast majority of people are not saved. The reason for that is, is because they, just like the Pharisees and the lawyers, reject the will of God for themselves. They reject God's perfect will. And they say, sorry, we don't believe that. We're going to do our own thing. And they step outside of God's perfect will into His permissible will. He allows them to follow their own course. Um, but So even though it's God's perfect will that all of mankind should be saved, it is God Himself who casts men into hell. Um, for no man who, given the choice, which, uh, and looking at hell and looking at heaven, would then say, okay, well, I'm going to go, I want to jump into that lake of fire. That's really where I want to spend my eternity. If they are given the choice of looking at heaven next to the hell, and behind God says, which one do you want? Uh, they're all going to turn away from hell and they're going to go after heaven because no one in their right mind will then say, well, actually, I want to dive into that, that fire and I want to be in torment in that fire for all eternity. And so that is a, a, a very interesting thing for us to understand because remember what I said to you, that in this life, God will never override the free will of an individual. However, after this life, things change because when an individual dies who has rejected God's perfect will, which is salvation, and chosen to go and live their own life, um, after this life, they don't, of their own free will anymore, now say, well, now I want to go to hell. Because now they don't want to go to hell. Because now they realize the reality that hell does in fact exist, and they're on their way down there. Um, and so they would resist going into hell. Nevertheless, they have no choice in the matter at that time. Their free will is then taken away because God is the one who then casts them into hell. Let's look at the scripture. Luke chapter 12 verse 5. Um, this is our Lord Jesus speaking. He says, But I will show you whom you should fear. Talking of God our Father. He says, Fear him who after he has killed, talking about the physical body, has power to cast into hell. Yes, I say to you, fear him. And so it is in fact God the Father who casts all unbelievers into hell. And they go there 
against their free will. They, they, there's no unbeliever who dies and then sees, oh, there's hell waiting for me. I can't wait to get down there. Every one of them will do their utmost to not enter into hell, but they cannot change things at that time. Their free will no longer is uh, acknowledged by God at that time. Because now God overrides their free will, for they are cast into hell against their will. There's no one that wants to go to hell uh, when they see it physically. And they see it physically once, once they die. And so God casts them into hell against their will. Um, and so, you know, how is it possible that God desires all mankind to be saved? He's even given His Son so that all mankind can be saved. It's not His desire that any should perish. And yet that same God, and He's a good God, Jesus taught us that God is good. And so that same God who is good, who, whose perfect will is for all mankind to be saved, how is it that He then is the one who casts into hell? Well, the reason that He does it is because mankind, in fact, do choose to go there of their own accord. Um, God doesn't uh, force them to go there. It's in this life that mankind chooses to go to hell. Now, the reason they choose to go to hell is because they don't believe hell exists. And so, um, when they hear about, you know, when they hear the gospel preached, and they hear, hear that, you know, heaven is a place that you need to gain, and hell is a place you need to shun, um, they think of it as a fairy tale, I suppose, one way of putting it across. And because they do not believe that there is such a thing as hell, and they don't believe that there is such a thing as God, um, they reject the will of God for themselves. And if God has designed the, the uh, eternal uh, destination based on uh, what we do in this life. And so God doesn't show us hell and show us heaven. He gives us His Word. And we are required to believe His Word. Those who believe, it's through the foolishness of the preaching of the Gospel that God has chosen to save mankind. And so those who believe are the ones that will um, be saved. You recall... When our Lord spoke about the rich man, uh, remember Lazarus, he dies, he goes to Abraham's bosom, and the rich man goes into hell, he goes into torment in Hades. Um, and he's, you know, he's asking Abraham, is there any way we can get this sorted out? Can't I, you know, well, he's first trying to get some water to cool his tongue, and Abraham says, no, we can get to you, so you're going to have to, you know, suffer. Um, so he says, you know, can we send Lazarus to my brothers? I've got five brothers. As to warn them not to come to this place. And uh, Abraham's response to him is, he says, they've got Moses and they've got the prophets, let them listen to them. And uh, the, the rich man says, no, 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 but if somebody comes back from the dead and tells them about this place, they'll believe that. And Abraham's reply to them is, or to the rich man, he says, if they will not believe the, uh, Moses and the prophets neither will they believe even if one were to come back from the dead and tell them what it's all, all about and so that's just it we have the word of God in this life and God makes his will known to us through his word and so all who, re who choose not to believe the word of God thus reject the will of God for their lives and they choose to do their own thing, and God allows that, God permits that, and so they step into God's permissible will. And so what in fact does happen, because remember our Lord also said, on that day my words will judge you. 
And he can say that because he's given us his word, guys, there is hell. And if you choose not to accept our salvation, we're just dealing with the, the, the topic of salvation right now. The fact that salvation is God's perfect will for mankind and damnation is his permissible will. For God will permit mankind to go to hell. They choose of their own free choice, their own free will to go to hell. Now they don't, as I say, look at the, a picture of hell, uh, stand in front of it, feel the heat of it, and then say, that's where I want to be, and dive in. No, not at all. They have a picture of it given to them through the Word of God. Um, but they choose not to believe that. They choose that there is to not believe that there is such a place as hell. Uh, we, if they reject the will of God for their lives, that is where they're going to be destined for all eternity. And so um, the Word that has been spoken to them in this life will judge them. Because, you know, when they stand before God on that day, because even though they're cast into hell, they will still be judged on the last day. And uh, none will be able to stand before God and say, I didn't know. You, you, you didn't tell me what was actually going to happen to me because I didn't accept Jesus. I didn't know what the consequence was. Because the Word of God will then be replayed to them uh, because they've all heard it at some stage. Um, this is what you rejected. I told you not to go down that road. I told you this is the way to go. Walk in that way. And you rejected the network. And that, you know, their memory will be very strong. And they will remember clearly rejecting the will of God during their lifetime. Um, and so it will be the word of God that will judge them on that day. And so it's not uh, God's perfect will that any go to hell. Yet God is the one who does send them there. But God sends them there as a result of their own free choice in this life so mankind makes the decision here we decide we get given the the god puts forward his perfect will to us and he says guys this is what i want you to do i want you to accept my son as your lord and savior and you will then have eternal life with me um, if you reject that then you're going to have eternal damnation in hell um, and so people look at that option and they either accept it and are thus saved and then enter into God's perfect will. Or they say, no, sorry, that's not for me. Reject it and thus enter into God's permissible. God permits them to do that because God never overrides the free will of man in this life. And so God permits them. He said, I've told you, I've warned you that if you choose not to accept my son, you haven't, there is a consequence that will be paid and it's an eternal consequence. And vast majority don't even believe that. Um, that you know, they, you know, a lot of don't believe God exists. Um, so even though the word is spoken to them, it, it means nothing to them, and so they reject the will of God, and that's what God allows to happen. And so in this life, God will definitely not override the free will of mankind. And let's have a look at a passage of scripture, a bit of a lengthy passage, but we'll read it all because it just graphically illustrates to us the fact that God allows His creation to do that which they choose to do. God never um, forces His will on anyone in this life. After this life, things change. Uh, no one jumps into hell. They have to be cast into hell because they don't want to go there. But they, get, they have to go there because they made the choice in this life. But in this life, everyone of God's creations has a free will 
and God will never force any of us to do anything. We do it all, what we do, of our own free will. And so the scripture we'll look at is in Romans chapter 1, beginning in verse 20. Uh, let's just read the whole passage. He says, For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. And so uh, the Holy Spirit through the Apostle Paul is saying, just look at creation. By looking at creation, all of mankind knows God exists. There's no excuse. There's not one person that looks at creation and then doesn't know that God exists. Now they might refuse to acknowledge that. It's their choice. But they know God exists. And God has given us his, his word on the subject. God can't lie. And guaranteed when they stand before God on that day for judgment, they'll acknowledge, I knew you existed. Um, because I could clearly see that you did. You know, it's not the case of, God, I didn't know you even existed. So you know, why am I where I am? That's not the case. Everybody has seen the, the invisible attributes of God in his creation that they live in. And so none will be have an excuse on that day. There's just going to be no excuses. Absolutely none. Verse 21 says, Because although they knew God, so everybody knew, knows God, there's not anyone, even the strongest atheist, that, uh, you know, that really knows his stuff and he can argue all sorts of things to prove that God doesn't exist. He knows that God exists. And he, he knows God. Um, and so he, he will have no excuse on that day. Uh, none of his arguments will mean anything because he'll just acknowledge, I do know you, I knew you, um, but I, ch I chose to ignore you. And so he's, as the Lord says, because although they knew God, they did not glorify him as God, nor were thankful, but became futile in their thoughts, and their foolish hearts were darkened. So that's really what happens to people that start to, uh, you know, don't talk to me about God. I've got my own life. Thank you very much. They become futile in their thinking. Uh, verse 22. Professing to be wise, they become fools. And you get some very knowledgeable professors and of what have all these doctorates and PhDs and they really you know, uh, are intelligent individuals, but they actually, in fact, are just uh, foolish. Um, and they become fools. Verse 23, and changed the glory of the incorruptible God into an image made like corruptible man, and birds and four-footed animals and creeping things. That's talking about all of those statues and the idols that people set up. They say, well, this is God. Just like the children of Israel. Remember when God had just brought them out through the Red Sea, done all those miracles. Um, and Moses gets taken up the mountain for 40 days, and they say, yeah, we don't know what happened to Moses. And so they just create mold two cows and put it up there on the statue and say yeah here's your god this is the god that you know delivered you and so that's what happens people become that foolish that you know they'll go worship a, a mouse for argument's sake verse 24 therefore god also gave them up to uncleanness in the lust of their heart god's given them so he says i'm permitting you this is what you want to do go for it uh, he gave them up to uncleanness in the lust of their heart to dishonor their bodies among themselves who exchange the truth of God for the lie. So they start believing the lie. The lie becomes their point of reference and not the truth anymore. And worshipped and served the creature rather than the creator, who is blessed forever. Amen. 
For this reason, God gave them up again to vile passions, for even their woman exchanged the natural use um, for what is against nature. Likewise, also the men, uh, leaving the natural use of the woman, burning their lust for one another, men with men committing what is shameful, and receiving in themselves the penalty of the error which was due. And even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, they don't want to hear anything about God. God gave them over to a debased mind to do those things which are not fitting, being filled with all unrighteousness, sexual immorality, wickedness, covetousness, maliciousness, full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, evil-mindedness. They are whisperers, backbiters, haters of God, violent, proud, boasters, inventors of evil things, disobedient to parents, undiscerning, untrustworthy, unloving, unforgiving, unmerciful, who knowing the righteous judgment of God, they know the righteous judgment of God, that those who practice such things are deserving of death. Not only do they do the same, but approve of those who practice them. And so, here, very clearly, I mean, none of this is the will of God. All of these practices that we've just gone through, is God, it's not God's will at all. This is all against God. Um, but God allows it. God says, if that's what you want, you know me, you see me in, in my creation that you dwell in, um, but you choose to not acknowledge me as your God, as your creator. You choose to ignore me. You choose to disown me, kind of. Dis, dis, you can't say disown me, but they just don't acknowledge God anymore. They don't want anything to do with God. This is my God. And they bow down to a calf or something like that. Um, or, this is my God, me, I'm my God, and so, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm the, I reign supreme in my life. I do not want to know anything about God. So God says, well, you know, if that's what you want to do, then I'm going to allow you to do that. That's where you're going to go. And so that's what they do, and they become more and more depraved. And so God allows that to happen. Why does he do that? Because God will not override the free will of man in this life. He's given each one of these creations a free will. Um, and it's of their own free will that they choose to serve their creator or not. God has not created robots. And so, you know, it's, if God had created us as robots, well, then he would just push the button, download the app, and everybody would worship God. Not the case. God doesn't do that because he, his creations are unique creations in that they have a free will. And so... God expects us, as His creations, to acknowledge Him as our Creator and to give Him the, the, the worship due Him as being our Creator and give Him what is due to Him as being our Creator and to, to uh, serve Him as our Creator, as, as, as our God. But He doesn't force us to do that. Uh, he says, I'm your creation. You, I'm your Creator. Sorry, you're my creation. And so I expect you to acknowledge me as God and to worship before me and to serve me as your God and I will bless you and I will um, multiply you and all of the goodness of God will then be poured out upon his creation. For those who choose to accept salvation in Christ Jesus, um, they are then stepping into the perfect will of God and acknowledge God as being their God and their creator and they serve him in, in that manner. But the vast majority of mankind... Uh, look at it, and look at God and say, sorry, I'm not interested. I would prefer to do things my way. And so God says, you know, that's it. You can, because in this life, I give you permission to do it. 
I'm not, a, I'm not a dictator. God is not a dictator. And so God does not force any of us to do anything. We of our own free will choose to bow our knee. Now another scripture says that all knees shall bow before God and confess Christ Jesus as Lord. And that's true because that will be a forced knee uh, bending of the knee on that day. Um, well, kind of forced, but they'll really be crying out for mercy, but it'll be too late. But as I said, once we leave this planet, then the free will of mankind drops away, unless we're still are in heaven, obviously. We're talking about those who get cast down into hell. None of them jump into hell of their own free will. They have to be cast there. But in this life, mankind has been given their free will, and it is up to mankind to choose of their own free will to serve God or to reject Him. And the vast majority of God's creations reject Him, by the way. It's, it's, it's a, a sad thing, but the vast majority, because He is such a good God and He's given mankind the free will, the vast majority reject uh, the, free, um, the will of God for their lives. So now we need to, because we, we're putting out some things and we're going, we're going to tie it all together because we have to tie it all together to understand how then is it that possible that because God has his perfect will and mankind, the vast majority choose to walk in God's permissible will, how is it possible that God's still able to do all things and bring all things together according to his will? Um, and so we, we get in our minds around that. And uh, one of the concepts we need to understand very clearly, so we've understood very clearly that God has his permissible will and he has his perfect will. Um, what we've seen is salvation is God's per perfect will and, and damnation is God's, per God's permissible will. But the vast majority of people choose the permissible will. What we need to understand as well in understanding the will of God is the fact is that God knows everything. God is all-knowing. He is an infinite God. There is nothing that God does not know. Now, a lot of people have, a, and a lot of Christians, actually, which is I find very amazing, have a problem with that concept that God knows everything. Um, because, you know, they, it, it's, it just kind of blows people's mind, I suppose. But in fact, that's the truth of the matter. God knows everything. There's nothing God doesn't know. Um, if there was something that God didn't know, God wouldn't be God in that situation because that situation would be greater than God because God didn't know anything about it. But uh, God knows everything. Um, and because He knows everything, He also knows all of the future. He knows all of the past, He knows all of the present, and He knows all of the future. There's nothing in the future that God doesn't know. Nothing takes God by surprise. Um, so, yeah, we're dealing with some, some very powerful uh, truths to understand because, again, we, you, you, as we look at these things with our natural understanding, uh, it, it blows our mind because, you know, how do we get our minds around it? And you can't because now we're dealing with God. And uh, God is uh, a being that is far greater than we can even begin to imagine in capacity, in, in, in ability, he, he is, when he calls himself the Almighty, that's exactly what he is. He is the Almighty God. Uh, and, but he is also the All-Knowing God. And so God knows everything. Um, and again, as I say, God knows all of the future. And we need to understand that concept in order to reconcile 
the perfect will of God uh, still being done in amongst his creation whom the vast majority choose to walk outside of his perfect will but rather in his permissible will and so this just reinforced the truth from scripture about the fact that God does know everything and the scripture we want to look at is in Isaiah chapter 46 beginning in verse 9 God speaking he says for I am God and there is no other I am God and there is none like me and there truly is none like God believe you me there is none like God God is almighty he is infinitely greater than we can begin to imagine and there's none like him and this is what he says verse 10 declaring the end from the beginning and from ancient times things that are not yet done saying my counsel shall stand and I will do all my pleasure and so here God is able to very plainly tell us that he declares the end from the beginning so God kind of has this way of operating is that he doesn't ever start something before he finishes it so you know we don't operate like that we we start and then you know we kind of have an idea of where we want to get to but you know we kind of plot along to get to where we want to end but God finishes it before he even starts it and so when he starts it he declares what the end is going to be he knows the end result before before the thing begins um, and so God knows everything and he goes on to say he says and from ancient times things that are not yet done and so God declares what's going to happen that's why you know the all Bible prophecy is God saying this will, this will happen then and this will happen then and this will happen and this will happen um, and then what happens it happens because God said it would happen and that's exactly what happens why does God why does it happen because God knew it was going to happen and because he knew it was going to happen he told us up front he said this is what will happen uh, whenever it's going to happen remember our Lord a couple of more than one occasion our Lord said we have to do this so that the scripture can be fulfilled and you know a simpler thing is our Lord riding on a donkey into Jerusalem had to happen why was that because God declared it was going to happen because God saw it happen and God declared that's what was going to happen and so, okay. so God declares the end from the beginning but not only does he know all the future but he kind of he manipulates not maybe the right word but he, he maneuvers the future as well because what does he say uh, saying my counsel shall stand and I will do all my pleasure and so God does what he wants to do. He decides what the end is going to be, and then he goes ahead and he uh, plans it out as if that's what, uh, and it becomes what it's going to be. He does all of his pleasure. But the, the, the point that I want to get across here very clearly is that God knows the end from the beginning. And now we need to, don't forget, we're still dealing with the, the concept of salvation being God's perfect will, damnation being God's permissible will. And we're trying to understand how God's will and the free will of man can be reconciled in this life. Because it can, people can say, well, you know, God, because he, he knows everything, he, he knows what's going to happen, and so he's unfair. But that's not the case. Um, let's just have a look at another scripture to just give us an, a bit of insight, because we really want to get our, our minds around the fact of the all-knowingness of God, because that's such a vital truth to understand when it comes to God, um, God's will being done in our lives. 
um, and how it is possible that God's will prevails in, in the lives of those who choose not to submit to his perfect law. Because God can do it because God is all-knowing. And so another scripture that we look at, which should just give us a, 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 an, an insight again into the infinite understanding and wisdom and knowledge of God, is in Psalm 139, beginning in verse 16. Um, the writer of the psalm is speaking about how God is, has created him. And he says, your eyes saw my substance being yet unformed. So before the individual is even formed in the womb, God saw what the person was going to look like. And so that's the all-knowingness of God. Before the, the, the seed is sown, God knows what, what the person is going to look like. And he goes on, he says, And in your book they all were written, the days fashioned for me, when as yet there were none of them. And so before the person even begins their life, their life has been written in God's book. So that, that, that gives you a, a very clear understanding of God's uh, full understanding of the future. So before an individual is born into the earth, their whole life has already been written out in God's book. And we are basically just fulfilling what is already written. And I remember our Lord quite often he says, this needs to be done so that what is written may be fulfilled. And so the Lord was walking, Jesus walked in God's, God the Father's perfect will. Um, and so he knew what the perfect will of God was for his life and he walked in it. Um, but that's really what happens to us. We, all of us, walk in the, uh, what has already been written. So it's not a case of, as we walk in, so our lives have been written down. In fact, that's not how God operates at all. He's written it all and then, he, then we go and walk in it. Um, the reason that he has written it all already is because he knows all of the future and he's seen our whole life uh, and that's why he can declare the end from the beginning. He's already seen the whole life. Uh, verse 17 says, How precious are your thoughts to me, O God! How great is the sum of them! If I should count them, they would be more in number than the sand. When I awake, I am still with you. And so he's talking about just uh, the thoughts of God towards one of his creations. Just one individual. He said, if I could count them, there would be more than the number of the sand. Now you try and think of how much sand there is on this planet. There's a lot of sand. And God, God's thoughts towards just one of his creations is more than that, number-wise. If they could be counted, he says. How great is the sum of them? If I should count them, there would be more than enough of the sand. Now you extrapolate that out against across all of God's creations. And, you know, we're dealing with uh, a, a, a person, an individual, maybe even not the right, it's not the right term to use for God, but we're dealing with God now. And um, there's just our minds do not come close to understanding just who God really is and just how much... Uh, he knows. Another scripture that will give us a bit of insight, and all of these scriptures are just giving us just a glimpse as to the, the infinite wisdom, understanding, and knowledge of God. Psalm 147, verse 4. Scripture says, He counts the number of the stars. Talking about God. He calls them all by name. 
Great is our Lord and mighty in power. His understanding is infinite. Now to try and put this into a bit of perspective for us, because the scripture says he counts the number of the stars. Firstly, God counts the number. But listen to what else he does. He calls them all by name. Each star has its own name given to them by God. And God calls each one by name. He doesn't forget, what's your name again? He knows each one's name. And he counts them, and he knows them. And they say, okay, well, you know, that's, that's, that's awesome. Let's put it into a little bit of perspective. In the observable universe that mankind can observe with the Hubble telescope and all that that's out there, um, it is estimated that there's approximately 100 billion, with a B, billion galaxies in the observable, I'm talking, not talking about the whole universe now, I'm talking about the portion of the, of the universe that mankind can see with uh, his technology today. So in that observable universe, it's estimated there is, and this is all now the, the knowledgeable scientists that really study this stuff and got all the computers working on it anyway. So they estimate there's roughly 100 billion galaxies in the observable universe. Each galaxy contains, on average, an estimate, obviously, of roughly 100 billion stars. So you've got a, a hundred billion stars in a galaxy, you've got a hundred billion galaxies in just a section of the universe that mankind can see, and the universe is far greater than what mankind can see. Now, put that into perspective, God our Father no, he knows the exact number of each, how many stars there are, but he knows the name of each one. And he never forgets the name, and he calls each one by name. And so that is kind of just, you know, telling you that the God that we deal with is absolutely astounding. He is completely uh, unfathomable for us um, to begin to imagine. And so, you know, for us to not acknowledge him as God and to, for a person to go and find a cow and make a, 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 a statue of a cow and say, well, that's my God. Look what the, 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 the correlation is. It's crazy. It's, it's madness. It's madness. Our Lord called it foolishness. I think he was polite. Um, our Lord, when he was on the earth, he also tried to give us a bit of a glimpse of, of the, the infinite understanding of and, and the knowledge of God. Uh, in this passage of scripture, you must understand that Jesus knew and knows the knowledge of God. He knows just how great God is. But he's trying to bring it down to the level where uh, us in our own small understanding can kind of grasp it to a little nth degree. And so what he says is in Matthew's Gospel, chapter 10, verse 29, he says, Are not two sparrows sold for a copper coin? And not one of them falls to the ground apart from your father's will. But the very hairs of your head are all numbered. And so here again, I mean, the stars are numbered. We just worked out there's, there's just an infinite number of stars and God knows the number, but he knows them by name. Now we get to our head. I understand you look at my head. There's not a lot of hairs out there. But nevertheless, God knows the number of each one of our heads. And he has numbered each one. And so there's number 39 on this side, number 48 on that side. God knows where each one is, and he's numbered them. That's the infinite. That's just my head. Now you take everybody's head that has ever existed, estimated 
over 100 billion people have lived since and died since Adam came into the earth. So, you know, that's a lot of heads out there. It's a lot of hairs, and God has numbered each one. But then look at this other passage, a portion of Scripture where our Lord says, um, He says, Are not two sparrows sold for a copper coin, and not one of them falls to the ground apart from your father's will? Now, sparrows are dying all the time because their lifespans are not long. And so, you know, they come in, they get born, they go and do their stuff for whatever period of time God allocates to them, and then they die. Um, and there's, you know, quite a lot of sparrows in the world, and there have been in the world. There's been a hundred billion people that have been, there's a lot more sparrows that have been come and gone. But look at what our Lord says. He says, and not one of them falls to the ground apart from your Father's will. And so God not only knows every sparrow, in, in his creation, throughout all of the period of his creation. But God decides when each, when each sparrow will die. God, that is, they operate in God's perfect will, by the way. Uh, uh, creation kind of operates in, it, it's in a fallen state because of mankind, but sparrows know what to do. They, they do what they, they, they're called to do. And God says, okay, well, that's, this sparrow will live for this day. Uh, period of time on this day at that time that sparrow's life will end and that's what happens that's the will of God being done in that sparrow's life and so that's the infinite um, ability of God to control and manage his creation and so we need to understand that God knows beforehand what is going to happen and that's the concept that we need to get our minds around uh, in order for us to understand how it is that the will of God and the will of man, which uh, can be opposing uh, on opposite ends of the scale, uh, God's will still prevails. We need to understand that. And so, God, because God knows everything, God knows those who are, who are His, those who belong to Him. Um, why? Because He knows the end from the beginning. So before the before the beginning starts, God knows the end. And so he knows who will accept salvation and who will reject salvation. Because don't forget, God puts out the choice. Mankind, as, a, as an act of his own free will, decides. Now God knows what decision will be made because God sees the future. And so on the day that you you accepted Christ, let's say you, you're born again, on the day you accepted Christ, you knew, uh, uh, you, you were introduced to God for the first, first time and you got to know Him for the first time. God knew when that would happen. That didn't take God by surprise. And uh, an angel came in and said, Oh God, uh, Mike has given his life. And God said, Oh, I didn't know that. Okay, well, just as well. Thanks for, beginning, thanks for letting me know. Not at all. God knew when Mike was going to give his heart to the Lord. And so, before Mike was born, God knew when Mike, the day, the hour, the, 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 the second, that uh, Mike would give his heart to the Lord. That's God's knowledge. And so, because God is all-knowing and He knows all of the future, nothing takes Him by surprise. And so, God knows those who are His. Why is that? Because God knows those who will choose to accept salvation, those who will choose to reject salvation. And so that's why the scripture can be, uh, um, our Lord can speak in the scripture. Look what it says here, the Holy Spirit speaking. Uh, 2 Timothy 2.19. In, in context, this, this particular scripture is talking about 
believers who have fallen away from Christ. And the reason they fell away is because they got to hear some weird teaching that the resurrection's already passed. Um, you can go look at it it's in 2 Timothy chapter 2. And so these believers said, well, yeah, if that's the case, well, then I'm not going to follow Christ anymore. And the Bible says that their faith was overturned. And so they fell away from following after Christ. And so here Paul, well, the Holy Spirit through the Apostle Paul, is just letting us know that this didn't take God by surprise. Because look what it says. Nevertheless, the solid foundation of God stands, having this seal. The Lord knows those who are His. And let everyone who names the name of Christ depart from iniquity. So all that the Holy Spirit through the Apostle Paul is saying to us, because as I say, you go read it in the passage, um, certain believers, their faith had been overthrown. And so they had fallen away from following Christ. And the scripture says, Nevertheless, the solid foundation of God stands, having this, this seal. The Lord knows those who are His. And so all he's saying is here is that that didn't take God by surprise about the fact that those believers would fall away because the Lord knows those who are His. Now, why does He know? Because He knows everything. He knows all of the future. And so that incident of those particular believers falling away did not take God by surprise because the Lord knows those who are His. Um, another scripture that our Lord mentioned, which um, just gives us a bit of insight again, um, is in Matthew chapter 7, verse 23. He's, he's talking about on the day of judgment. Um, and he says, And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. And so here he, our Lord says to individuals, I never knew you. But he says, if you go and read in the context again, he's talking about the people that he's busy preaching to. He's actually speaking to them. And he says, you guys are going to say to me on that day, but Lord, we, had, we ate meals with you. you. You're taught in our streets. And this is when he says, And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. Now why can the Lord say, I never knew you? He can say, I never knew you, because he knows all the future. And so he knows those who are his. And those who choose not to accept him, he never acknowledges, acknowledges them as his, because they know they're not his. And so he can quite truthfully say, I never knew you, because they never acknowledged him. And so God never knew them. And so now we get to, and I'm going to finish off on, on this point today, we're dealing with the, the book of life, because uh, you know, the Bible, it's very important that our name be recorded in the book of life, because on the day of judgment before the great white throne judgment, this, which is the second resurrection, which is the res resurrection of condemnation. Um, anyone not found written in the book of life is cast into the lake of fire and brimstone uh, for all eternity, which is the second death. So it's very important that one's name be recorded in the book of life. But look at a couple of scriptures um, dealing with the book of life, which just gives us a bit of insight as to how uh, God's knowledge is again revealed to us. For in Revelation chapter 17, verse 8, the scripture says, The beast that you saw was and is not and is not, and will ascend out of the bottomless pit and go to perdition, speaking about the Antichrist. And it goes on to say, And those who dwell on the earth will marvel, whose names are not written in the book of life. 
So they say, okay, well, that means they just didn't have their names written in the Book of Life. No, look at where it says. In the Book of Life, from the foundation of the world. When they see the beast that was and is not and yet is. And so here he's saying, these unbelievers, their names were not written in the Book of Life. When? From the foundation of the world. So when the world was formed, before the, in fact, before the world was, was, was formed, God's book of life had already, been, had already been written. And these individuals' names were not in it back then. So they say, okay, well, that's fine. That means that as we give our hearts to the Lord, so our names get recorded in the book of life. Uh, no, not at all. Because it's, the, the implication is very strong here that those whose names are in the book of life are in the book of life from the foundation of the world not during time on this earth. It's not a case of, all right, Mike gave his heart to the Lord, so his name gets now written in the book of life. Not at all. Mike's name was written in the book of life before the foundation of the world. And so that is what the scripture is in fact saying to us. That because the Lord knows those who are his before, they, before it's manifested that they are his. Before that, that, that truth is made manifest in this life. It's always really God's mind because God knows all everything. And so God writes his books before and the book of life is written before. And um, remember we, the, the, the psalmist said, you know, before my days it was written of me to do your will. And so, you know, we just, we kind of are, we're not playing out what, what, is, what we're doing is what God's already written. Now, the reason God's written it because he's seen what we're going to do. So he's written it. You've got to get your mind around this. So anyway, those who are destined for salvation, or destined, not the right word to use just yet, but that's kind of the, the, the crux of it. But those who, will be, who are saved, our names have been recorded in the book of life before the foundation of the world. Those who are not saved, their names were never recorded in the book of life. Now, that kind of highlights another truth for us in our Lord when he deals with the subject in the book of life. In Revelations chapter 3 verse 5, look at what the Lord says. He who overcomes shall be clothed in white garments. And listen to this. And I will not blot out his name from the book of life, but I will confess his name before my father and before his angels. And so those who are saved can only have their names blotted out of the book of life. It's not a case of having our names recorded in the book of life. We can get our names blotted out. And so the book of life has already been re recorded. And those who belong to God, their names are already in there. Those who do not belong to God, their names are not there. But those who belong to God and their names are, are in, the, in that book can get to the point where their names will be blotted out of the book of life. Our Lord said so. He says, I will not blot your name out. Um, I'll keep that in, in the book of life. And so that is just reinforcing that the Lord knows those who are his. And so their names will not be blotted out of the book of life. So just to uh, kind of recap uh, on, on today's section, we're dealing with the fact that salvation, we, we looked previously in the previous teaching that God has his perfect will and his permissible will. And now we looked in this teaching in the fact that God's, salvation is God's perfect will. And damnation <coughs> being cast into hell is God's permissible. It's not his express will, but he'll do it. He'll, he'll cast people into hell if that's what they choose. We've seen that God will not override man's free choice in this life. Man has their own free choice, and we choose where we're going to spend eternity. 
And then we saw, in preparation for still trying to reconcile the fact that God's will, perfect will is done overall, and mankind still has his own free will, we have looked at the fact that God knows everything, including all of the future. And so God records everything before it even happens. Why? Because he knows what's going to happen. So he can do that. And uh, that is a foundational truth that we need to understand, that God knows everything. If we're going to reconcile God's will against the will of man, because the two are very often at odds with each other, and we need to understand how that's going to work out. But we'll end the teaching on that particular point today.